You are now listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast. The problem with doing an episode once a month is that you have so many things to talk about that you end up recording for like two hours. I'm really hoping we keep it under two this time, Vardy. How are you tonight? I'm good, buddy. A tight 120 minutes is that what we're looking at? Trying to keep it, I hope not. Keep it entertaining? <laughs> I hope not. I mean, there's a lot to talk about, but I don't know how much deep diving we're going to do yeah. about like our second and third round picks in the draft and stuff like that. But there's plenty to talk about, that's for sure. Yeah, it's nice. There's actually some Kings-relevant, Kings-adjacent things to talk about as opposed to just kind of throwing in 10 minutes of Kings discussion versus the rest of the NHL. Which might lead us to do more frequent episodes now because there is actually Kings content to cover uh, moving forward. So it's an exciting time, but we do have Hopefully. to put a bow on this last season i guess the season that just ended tampa bay as we both predicted uh and this is in like september 2019 we predicted right stanley (sighs) cup champions finally good for them happy for them it's been a long time coming no asterisk i know there's a lot of asterisk talk with these bubble championships but not on my end well deserved well earned congratulations yeah no i agree with that i can't even believe people are like trying to asterisk this and in any way, especially for a team like Tampa that was a favorite at the beginning of the season, all of this stuff notwithstanding, like somehow trying to make the case that it doesn't count because you're not traveling in the bubble, you're not playing in the other team's barn. I mean, it's it's so irrelevant. Like both teams are playing in the same conditions. I don't I don't understand what the argument is here. I agree. I think it's maybe more of an argument in the NBA because the NBA has more people in the media who are just straight haters or just playing a hater on TV. So maybe Mm. the conversation is more in basketball and kind of leaked in talking, but good for them, man. Uh, I really enjoyed the final. I really enjoyed the whole bubble. I think overall you got to say it was a success. No cases, right? Uh, No positive cases of COVID. Sure. That one article by ESPN wasn't very flattering, but other than that, I think you got to kind of say, Hey, good. Let's not do it again, but somewhat successful. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it went as well as they as the NHL could have possibly hoped. The fact is they were able to play it through. They didn't have to cancel any games. They didn't have to delay anything. Um, they got a champion. They were able to complete the season, and I think they hopefully learned a lot going into the next season and how they want to execute things. Whether it be these regional bubbles that they're kind of talking about, whether they um, do just open travel kind of like the NFL is doing, which is having mixed results at best right now. Yeah. I think we had, we had touched on this on the last, uh, on the last episode as to how it was going to go for the NFL. And, um, so far, not that great. I mean, if you're following week to week, like there's players being put on the COVID list, there's forced by weeks, there's like delays weeks at a time. Like, and that's, that's, that's a league where they're playing once a week right. to try and pull that off where they're playing even a condensed schedule of what sounds like it's going to be 60 games. They're kind of hinting it's going to be 60 games. I think that's a, uh, that's a tough ask. That's a very tough ask. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, but I, I am curious to see how and what they're going to execute 
But the offseason usually starts off with a bang with the draft. And, and this draft, we didn't have to wait long at all, did we, Vardy? No. Uh, I, I feel like it was pretty consecutive, the Cup being awarded in the draft starting, which is always great. Uh, especially if you're a team like the LA Kings, who had the second overall pick, and they drafted much to my dismay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wasn't that upset about it. Uh, Quinton Byfield, the highest selected black player in the history of the NHL. Good for him. He got a lot of love from LA figureheads such as Snoop Dogg and Magic Johnson. He had some nice little zingers going back at him too, so I really appreciate his sense of humor. But honestly, no surprise. I think even though previously I've said that I preferred Tim Slutslow or I was leaning towards Tim Slutslow, I think at the end of the day I knew they were going to take Byfield. And my reasoning is, I think I've told you, but if you don't take Byfield and Stutzel busts, you're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But if you take Byf- if you take Byfield and he ends up not being the player you thought, I don't think anyone's going to really hold it against you because you can't pass on a 6'4 playmaking center who, who, can, plays, skate. who can skate and, and plays a power game. It just You can't pass on that and then have him become a superstar. You just can't. And I think yeah. that really, at the end of the day, uh, that's where the Kings went. I'm sure that wasn't their line of thinking, but it is kind of something that you have to consider as a fan, maybe. And maybe they did consider it. But all that being said, welcome to the Kings, Quinton Byfield. Uh, you won't be playing next year, I don't think. Uh, but we're excited to see him soon. Yeah, barring barring some very impressive showings in camp and, and a change in the overall mindset, I think, of management i don't expect byfield to be to be playing next year um which is fine which is completely fine why burn a year of his entry-level contract on a on a, a useless year um but yeah i'm i'm um excited i think is a good word to use i from everything that i have seen and i've tried to comb through the archives through the video archives even the brief a little bit that you know, we saw of him in the World Juniors last year. I'm excited for the type of player that he can be. And I'm excited for, um, and I, I know this is kind of cliche, but like I'm excited for the fact that he gets to play while Kopitar is still towards the tail end of his prime, but is still a very effective player in this league. Because I think, I think Byfield is showing, um, he's shown his offensive capabilities. I think he's shown that he can be a playmaking center, like you mentioned. I think he really plays the type of game where he wants to. He's not shy about taking the puck to the middle. He's not looking to work off the boards. Like he's looking to dominate because he's capable of doing that at the at the junior level, like he is right now. You know, he's built like a man. He can skate like a man. He can he can do what he wants to most nights. And um, as much as we have lamented this about Kobe, that's not really his game. But I think he plays a much he plays a very cerebral, smart two-way game. So I think if he's able to impart some of that wisdom and how he's developed in the league to become the type of player that he is onto Byfield, while Byfield still develops his own offensive capabilities, like that's that's I think what you're kind of hoping for. And I know, you know, you mentioned that maybe the Kings weren't so much thinking about that, weren't so much thinking about like oh you can't pass on a big franchise center, but I I have to think, I have to think that like, if you're in that room and you've been around 
Andre Kopitar for the last decade and a half, and you know what type of guy he is and how he can be with younger incoming players, I have to think that when you have an Andre Kopitar in the room, that makes you more keen on the idea of bringing a guy like Byfield in for the positive influence that he can have on his development. I don't disagree. I think the fact that the Kings won two Stanley Cups with strength down the middle, that's not lost on management. Rob Blake was very much part of that second cup for sure. Um, so I don't think, you know, we're not decades removed from that. It's still pretty yeah. fresh. I think strength yeah. down the middle is still important. I think top-heavy teams can still win. The Tampa Bay Lightning just proved that. So, yeah, I, I'm cool. I'm at peace with it, believe it or not. <laughs> I'm going to sleep well most nights knowing that <laughs> it was Byfield and not Stutzla. Um, although I still think Stutzla is going to be a dynamic player. Oh, no question. Um, I, I really love that they made their draft pick with Alex Trebek and the Jeopardy theme. That was really cool. That was uh, nice. But our boy, Quinton, was wearing a bow tie, so take that. No, and I, I, that's, I, I mentioned this. I think I tweeted this. Is I love that he's got personality. I love that there's swagger already, but it's he's still, by all indications, like a really nice community dude. Like He's still working with the kids in, in Sudbury and doing all these things. Like He... That, that, I think, bodes well to a player coming into a big city like L.A. and adjusting and, and kind of growing into that personality. Because, you know, you know how L.A. is. Like, L.A. loves a winner. L.A. loves personality. L.A. loves, you know, marketable athletes. And I think he's going to be that guy in spades. And, and to your point about strength down the middle, I mean, if everything goes, again, high in the sky – trajections on my part but you know you have Gabe Velarde now coming into his second pro season Kopitar I'm thinking he's got at least three to four years three to four good years of production maybe five or so if we're lucky and gradually as you would imagine kind of going down the the depth chart so if over those next three to five years you have Byfield and Velarde developing as they should gradually getting into that number one, two slot and letting Kobe slide down into that two, three slot. You got the makings of another solid down the middle team that can, that can really be trouble come playoff time. In my opinion, we're not even mentioning Alex Turcotte and Tyler Madden. Exactly. And and the list goes on and on. Yeah. I mean, those guys are going to have to like figure out a way to play on the wing because I don't know what else you're going to do. Yeah. And Velarde is actually, capable of going to the wing too if Turcotte does become the player that he's projected to become it's an embarrassment of riches right now yeah at least potentially so that's that's great and to add another player like Byfield I think my favorite part is just reading around the league all the writers or beat writers just talking about how devastating the Kings are how scary their prospect pool is and just to add it was scary before the draft yeah, and to add Byfield, who automatically becomes your top prospect, it's something, man. It's yeah. really something. So, an amazing job by the Kings. It it never stops amazing me how they turn this ship around. At least potentially, in a span of maybe like thirty months. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, it's all about just buying. Like, it's all about buying into what your what the future of your team is, right? Like, 
accepting that the guys like Kyle Clifford and, um, you know, Derek Forbert, like these aren't the guys who are going to do it for you. You're, you're going to have to pivot and accepting that as much as these guys may have contributed to your team, Trevor Lewis, that time has passed. You have to pick a handful of players that are going to stick around and get what you can for these other players and make room for the next generation to come in. That might mean having lackluster seasons, but they won't be unentertaining seasons. That's for sure. We know that this upcoming season, they're not planning on doing a whole heck of a lot with the roster. We can get into that a little bit later, but um, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for what the roster is going to be and how they're going to play and how they're going to develop. And truly, win-loss record means very little to anything to me coming up. Yeah, I think where we are right now is very reminiscent of 2006, 2007, 2008. Right. Those years where you looked forward to watching the team because you knew you had a really deep prospect pool and they were all slowly coming into the NHL. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was obviously Kopitar, O'Sullivan, a few other players. I think it was right around that time where Voinov was starting to mm-hmm. to come in. Where he who shall not be named. Yeah, <laughs> right. Dustin Brown was already like a few years in, and you were seeing okay, now it's all kind of coming together. Jonathan Quick. All of a sudden, you draft Drew Doughton, and you realize now we got something special. I really feel like this Byfield pick is very similar to getting Dowdy in 08 in mm-hmm. the sense that you already had this phenomenal prospect base and then you just one more on top of it was like the icing right. on the cake and then you knew you were like okay now they're like really and, and there's another one coming next year by the way yeah it might not be number two yeah hopefully <laughs> it might be a little lower but it's still going to be like a good young player much like how in 09 I believe it was Braden Shen right after Dowdy, and you're like, oh, another one. Just throw it on the pile. But at that point, you had kind of the makings of what your future team's going to be, and you're able to move Braden Shen to solidify your cup, your two Stanley Cups, essentially, and getting Mike Richards and then building around that court. Yeah, no, and that's the thing. Those are, I expect similar moves as things kind of pan out, right? Like, Braden Shen has turned into a solid second-line center in the league, over the course of playing for the Flyers and, and then St. Louis, but who amongst the Kings fans right now is lamenting the loss of Braden Shen in the grand scheme of things, right? Exactly. No one is. And that's, you know, I would expect you're going to see a similar movement of prospects and players along the way as we get closer and as we see how some of these guys develop and shake out and what we actually have. But it's it's exciting times, and I, I completely agree with you. Like, we lucked out. I mean, let's let's be completely fair. We lucked out getting the second overall pick. Based on our standings alone, we were supposed to be fourth, fifth. And that's not to say that you wouldn't have had a good prospect at that level. But especially in this draft, the drop-off from one to two and three was pretty evident. And then the drop-off from two, three to the other ones, I think, yeah. was fairly evident right off the bat. So I think it's it's a little bit of luck, certainly. And a good amount of skill in terms of managing what you have and managing your assets and manipulating things, moving picks around, getting what you can do. Cause then you can do other crazy things like what else the Kings did at the draft, which was um, move a second round pick for uh, Leas Anderson from the Rangers, which um, honestly ended up being 
kind of one of the more significant moves of the draft beyond drafting Byfield because you can make moves like that. And um, just for a little background, Leas Anderson drafted, I think, 2017 mm-hmm. by the Rangers, seventh overall. Seventh overall. And as, uh, as you pointed out, uh, he was the captain of the Swedish World Junior team um, in 2017 that placed – was it 2017 that they placed second? And very famously, he threw his silver <laughs> medal into the crowd. <laughs> That's our guy. <laughs> yes. Um, it might have been – well, he was, in the, he was on the 2017 team and the 2018 team. Might have been 2018 then. You're yeah, right. so I can't really – I mean, it doesn't matter. The, what matters right. is that he took the silver medal and threw it into the third row. And after yep. the game, when they asked him, why did you do that? He just simply said – the guy in the third row looked like he wanted it more than I did, so I just threw it to him. Um, at the time, I was probably <laughs> one of the people who were like, you know, what a spoiled kid. I'm sure I said that, but now that he's ours, I love that he did that. <laughs> I love it. You know why? Because He's you an throw, asshole, but he's our asshole, damn it. You can throw all the cliches at him you want. I'm going to throw all of them. Look how much he hates to lose. Give me a guy who hates to lose the way Leas Anderson hates to lose. Give me a guy who wants to win so bad they will throw their second place trophy into the third. That's who I want. Who do you want right. in the trenches with you? Or do you want this? That's right. So yeah, all that stuff. All of a sudden, that's I, right. I'm his hype man. And you want the guy who's happy to make the playoffs, or do you want the one who wants the damn cup? That's exactly. right. I want a guy who, if he loses in the final, is going to chuck the Campbell Conference trophy <laughs> into the ocean. <laughs> that's that's the guy I want playing for the Kings. But no, look, all that, all joking aside, it's almost. I can't say it's a can't lose or very very low risk kind of trade because you don't know what that pick's going to become that they traded away. Sure, but. To your point, with the prospect pool you've built, in the draft that you just drafted your future number one centerman, it's a perfect time to take a chance like this on a kid who, by all means, should already be in the league, should be an effective player in the league, but because of various things, some of it his own fault, some of it his is the way you could perceive that the Rangers mismanaged him or put him in situations where he couldn't succeed, and like I said, you could argue some of it is his own bad attitude and wrongdoing. Whatever the case, he definitely needed a fresh start. He comes to a team where I believe it's his dad who works for the Kings, a scout for right. the Kings. He's a European scout. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like I said, what better situation to reboot this kid than right here and to, to spend a second round pick on it? If it doesn't work out, you're not really risking too much because like I said, you've done such a great job building your prospect pool and no one's going to say if we only had that second round pick. Yeah. And and the best part is it's not a reach either, right? Like this guy is two years in barely into his NHL career, but clearly it was a first round talent. Like you don't get taken seventh overall if you don't have the talent to be taken seventh overall. And, you know, he went back to Sweden. The, the Rangers loaned him back to Sweden few months ago and i think that's kind of when it became clear to the to the rangers fan base at least from everything that i've read that like okay his time here has been done um and say what you will i don't know the rangers development process as well as i know the kings but i trust the king's development process and i trust that if you take a guy whose dad is already in the organization who's looking for a fresh start who's coming into a place like 
LA where, like you mentioned, the prospect pool is deep. There's really no pressure on you to be a first round pick in any way. And quite frankly, he can, he can slot right into the lineup next year. In fact, I would expect him to because he's a couple years older than a lot of the other prospects we have. And he's going to get a fair shot to show that he can still play in this league to, to show that like he can, you know, work around his, his own, I don't know. I don't want to call them demons, but whatever his own internal issues are with playing in the NHL and see if you can put it all together. And if he does, it's, it's huge. It's a huge come up for the Kings. And if he doesn't, then you did a solid for someone who worked in the organization and stuff like that goes a long way. I believe it that that goes a long way, whether you want to call it karma or word of mouth or whatever. But like, I think especially with the NHL being as much of a tight knit internal community as it is, I think stuff like that travels. Absolutely. And what makes me, I guess more at ease with this is the fact that his dad is so close to the situation and, you know, there's no way the Kings didn't like grill him (laughs) or, yeah, they did their, of course, course, they did their homework and, and to, to give a second rounder for this team in the situation they're in, there has to be something there where they really like. There has to be something there where they really believe they could turn well, he's, around. He's a talented guy, man. He's a talented, he's a talented guy. guy. You don't go guy. seventh overall yeah. in any draft. I don't give a crap if it's the worst draft ever if you're going right. seventh. And we're not talking like five years out from his draft year either. We're talking three years. Yeah. You know, he's, it, it's not like it's lost. And now he's playing in Sweden and, and by all accounts is doing well. And they interviewed him after he was – traded and he sounded just overjoyed he sounded like it's a fresh start i get a chance like you know this isn't we're not talking about a dude who's been hurt a bunch of times the team who took him like it's a it's a very very different scenario so i'm more than comfortable with the idea of of trading a second for this guy i am too uh everything i've read like a lot of people very critical of the rangers and the way they handled his development just as much as just as critical as they were about him himself. So all indications are a timely, shrewd move, I think. And hopefully it pays out the way we think it can and yeah. the way it potentially can. So Yeah. Um, other developments from the, from the draft, notable picks. Uh, I'm not going to get too far into it, but the second round picks uh, really shoring up on the defense. The Kings took uh, Helga Granz from uh, Sweden, another player on their world junior team. Um, I think from everything I read, again, kind of a more of a two-way defenseman, not really crazy offensive, crazy defensive. And similarly, uh, Brock Faber as well from the national team, um, very balanced defensive prospects, which um, I don't mind. I think that if we had to look at one weakness, I suppose, in our pipeline, it would definitely be defense. I still think we're we're a Drew Doughty caliber defenseman away in our pipeline, like someone who's going to fill that void. But that doesn't necessarily have to come from the draft. That can come from trades. That can mm-hmm. come from anything down the line when the time is right. But I have no objection whatsoever, given the depth that we have on the forward uh, aspect of things with the Kings picking up some defensive prospects in the second round and, and, Again, we, you brought up Voinov. Voinov was a second-round pick and was a crucial part of the defense when we won the Cups. So 
nothing wrong with picking up as many defensive prospects, especially guys from various places. I like, I think we brought, I like that there was a bit of a European flair, if you will, Mm -hmm. with how they drafted, you know, or or traded for Anderson. Um, They also took a, um, a Slovakian player in the third round. I'm sorry, in the fourth round, possibly somewhere there. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) So I, I enjoyed that they, took a couple Swedish players were trying to diversify their, um, their cabinet a little bit. I think it's important to, to do that. That's right. They took a uh, Casper Simenteval from Finland undersized, but offensively very capable player from, from everything that I've seen. So I, I enjoy how they're doing things right now overall. Yeah, I agree. I do too. And, uh, they also got Ali Mata from the Blackhawks. Uh, That's right. For their actual, not future roster for their current roster because right. guess what? They still have to play hockey this season. They do. Uh, it was Oli Mata for Brad Morrison, who I can tell you with complete honesty, I have no idea who that is. Nope. I so, got nothing. So essentially comes down to the Blackhawks just dumping Oli Mata on the Kings, which is fine, I guess. Um, the Kings will take it because they did, they did need a left-hand defenseman. And they go and get a, a veteran. He's like a young veteran. He's like one of these strange guys. He's always <laughs> a good... Like, personally, I'm not a fan of the player. I don't think he's, like, a great defenseman. Uh, but I think for our purposes, <laughs> it's, ex- it's exactly the kind of player the Kings need. Yeah. He signed for a couple of years. I, uh, I think we had talked about this. I forget. We honestly talk so much throughout the days <laughs> i forget what we've talked about on the podcast and what we've just texted back and forth but you and i had talked about how they needed they needed a left-hand defenseman not one of these like plug in for one year kind of whatever guys but maybe someone who's signed to a contract and can play 18 90, 19 minutes reliably i think mata for essentially nothing fits that fits that bill sure. nicely and then there's the expansion draft aspect to it right Right, uh, he w- he will be exposed, which is fine, perfectly fine, um, and that works out for the Kings, who twenty six years old, man, and I feel like he's been in the league for he's so been around long, forever, right? <laughs> but he's only twenty six. His cap it will be three point three, uh, like you mentioned, expiring in twenty twenty two. So, the Kings need bodies. Like I'm, we're very happy with, you know, having Matt Roy, Sean Walker, who they signed also. Mm-hmm. Um, we never really talked about that, but they signed him. Over a month ago, on yeah, four year deal, four right? year deal. Yes, there you go. That's yeah. what I was looking for. So it's coming around. The defense is coming around. Mikey Anderson is there. I'm sure. Well, I'm not sure. He might make the team. How that defense is going to look is still kind of up in the air. But what's not up in the air is that Olimata will probably likely see top four minutes on this defense. Mm-hmm. And that's the Kings kind of needed at least one solid, consistent NHL player there. Yeah. And and again, free agency is not done yet. In fact, there's there's a fair oh, number no, of guys. How does Trevor Lewis not have a job? Dude, there's a lot of guys that don't make a lot of sense. I, I understand that there was a bit of a delay with wingers and stuff. It sounds like they were all waiting for Taylor Hall to kind of sign. And he ended up signing a quite interesting one-year deal with Buffalo for his own reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple other dominoes kind of fell in that way with Toffoli signing in Montreal and whatnot. But 
it seemed like there was a run on defensemen. Like I felt like defensemen were just getting overpaid like crazy. Even just second pairing guys were getting like five, six million dollar contracts for multiple years. And I was like, it's crazy, man. Why? Why is this happening? Um, I I agree. It's crazy. And we'll get into free agency, too. But uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at what some of these guys got, getting Mata for what we got him for. Yeah. Great. Good stuff. And, and they retained some salary, I think. And I think Chicago retained a little bit of salary on that deal, too, there if I'm go. not mistaken. Not that it matters for us. Like right. Our cap situation is totally comfortable. There's not a problem at all. Let's get into some of this free agent frenzy, Vardy, because, sure. again, as soon as the season was over, we got into the draft, and as soon as the draft was over, it was time. It That's was right. time for free agency. And as usual, some GMs have apparently completely lost their mind. And the quarantine has gone to them in a severe way. Cabin fever, call it what you want. I don't know. Okay, let me let me lead with this. I want you to tell me what you think the best signing was and the worst <laughs> signing was, and then we can fill in the gaps. Okay. Um, it, it might be hard. There was a lot, but I want you to I just... Know. Uh, the, I know. The, the signing that jumped out to me the most where I was like, why would you mm-hmm. do this, is Kevin Shattenkirk to Anaheim, three years, $3.9 million a year. When you look at the Ducks, <laughs> okay, you look at the they Ducks, and you look at their window of where they're headed and what they're going to look like throughout the duration of this contract that just signed this guy to. Explain to me why you would sign this player, who is, by the way, not a good, not a great defenseman. Yes, he was on Tampa. He played a role. He won a cup, man. Great for him. But everywhere this player has gone, he has underperformed. He is very one-dimensional. He's not right. terrible. But if you're the Ducks, why would you pay this guy almost $4 million a year to play here for the next three years? For what? Yeah, and it's also just like, do you need that dimension? Like, isn't isn't Cam Fowler doing that for you? Isn't I, I feel like Count, Manson has kind of Cam developed Fowler into that. is Bobby or compared to this guy, in my opinion. <laughs> okay. Josh Manson, I've been hard on him, but at least there's something better. To, to me, there's almost... This guy's like a second power play guy. Yeah. Shattenkirk. You know? Yeah, he, he's a second power play guy. Tell me, tell me this doesn't... Number six defenseman at best. At best. Tell me this isn't like a retirement contract for this guy. Just like, I'm going to be... Hey, I'm going to California for three years. I just won my cup. I'm going to California. They're going to pay me $4 million a year. Granted, he's only 31 and he's, he's not going to be done, done by the end of this contract. But tell me this isn't like... A reward for his cup kind of thing where he's going to kick back and enjoy the next three years. Oh, definitely. There's there's definitely the uh, the cup glitter on yeah. him, you know what I mean? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, the best one. That's hard, dude. That's really hard for me because what, what constitutes like the best deal? Is it the cap hit? Is it impact on the team? Is it because I really like, even though like you want, I think you, it's all of that. I think it's like a spider okay, diagram. Okay, you know, if you want to say impact, even if you want to say six million is is a good amount for a starting goalie. I like Markstrom to Calgary. I think that's mm. a good move by Calgary. I think they've had goaltending trouble f- for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. I don't remember them after Mika Kiprasov having like this number one goalie where you're like this is the guy mm-hmm. i really don't if i might be missing no, someone no, you're, but you're right 
You're but, right. Like Mike Smith was not good. As Mike Big Smith tends to be. Big Save Dave was like hot and cold. They had to play Cam Talbot in the playoffs against Dallas. Like they need they need someone. And I believe in starting from the back end out. Dean Lombardi mm-hmm. taught us that. And yep. they they went and they got the best goalie available. He's a stud. He's a stud. Straight up. He's better than Holtby. He was the best goalie available and they got him for $6 million for you know for six years he's gonna be 36 mm-hmm. at the end of that but hey you know what you addressed it whereas edmonton didn't address a damn thing about about their team what did they address i do like a few things they did you mean like tyson berry <laughs> no not so much tyson berry but you you can hate on kyle turris for 1.6 a year no that's at 31 it's, they brought back mike smith that's Jesus. yeah their goaltending is still mike smith and koskinen I believe, because he's under contract. He's not going anywhere. Oh, yeah. That was, uh, yep. And they signed Anton Forsberg, another goalie, for 700K. Do they, yeah, they bring back Tyler Ennis. Tyson Berry is not going to solve any of your problems. No. I mean, if if the issue was that you were not happy with your goaltending, getting Mike Smith and then having Tyson Berry stand in front of Mike Smith does not solve any issues whatsoever. Right. It creates. Some humongous issues, if anything. They didn't bring back Athanasiu, which I understand. I think he was just not fitting with that group. Mm-hmm. Um, they have big hopes for Gessie Pugliarvi, which, good. He's a top pick. He should do something. But they, they just re-signed him. He's going to play next year. Right. Another guy who, I think he was the same year as Leas Anderson, actually. You want to talk about like a couple of European guys who mm. came in with high expectations and just... Didn't quite go the way they planned, but anyway, sorry. Yeah. Let me interrupt you. No, no. And so, yeah, they didn't address anything. They just added another center, which was never their freaking problem. Right. I like Kyle Turris. I think to get him at that value is outstanding for two years. You know, any uh, – like he had, what, two, one and a half bad years, and all of a sudden he's worth $1.6 million. I don't know. And it, the NHL is weird. It's very strange right now. It's very, very strange right now. But, yeah, uh, so – that's the I'm trying to, now I'm trying to think of other teams but before I do that while I do that I want you to give me your best and worst. So I think my I'm I'm there's two contracts that I think qualify in my opinion under best. Um one of them is Toffoli's deal in oh, Montreal. Yeah, steel. I I I get I've tried to look for explanations. I've gotten some explanations from people fine. But Tyler Toffoli, for as much as we have picked on him for his issues with finishing the last couple of years, is still a premier play driver in the league, generates shots, gets into high scoring areas, and clearly based on his performance in Vancouver, though it was short lived, can contribute when he's put in a good situation to contribute. Okay? Mm-hmm. The Canadians snatched him up at four years and million. That is actually less than the money he was getting on the Kings. Less less than the prior contract he had. I I don't understand it. For the life of me, I don't understand it because I feel like this guy has been going from bridge deal to bridge deal to bridge deal, hoping that he's going to break out and get this like $6 million, $7 million long-term no-move clause deal. And instead he gets this four-year, 4.25, no trade protection, no expansion draft protection, deal for Montreal 
And so when you look at it from that standpoint, even if he doesn't really perform to the level that you think, if he ends up just being like a 40-point guy, a 40-point guy with no ability to stop you from trading him or giving him up in an expansion draft for four years and 4.25 million is a fantastic signing from a team standpoint. So that's one of them. And I think an underrated move because I think he's kind of an underrated player. Um, Ottawa signing Evgeny Dadanov for three years, 5 million is, is I think a really good signing. I mean, he's, he's exactly like Toffoli in the sense that he drives play he's a little bit older than Toffoli but I think he's been more productive the last couple of years I don't know what it was man I, I really don't understand why wingers have lost value as much as they have especially guys like this who who clearly contribute I mean he was a 30 goal scorer two seasons ago he's a 60 70 point guy consistently it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me so those I think those are two good signings, even though I don't necessarily think that's going to change Ottawa's fortune. I think Toffoli on Montreal is a really good signing. Um, and then I, I despise that Mike Smith signing for Edmonton, <laughs> even for one year. I'm, I, it's I'm so, it's so befuddled. <laughs> I am befuddled that Mike Smith still has a job in this league and that people, the teams that he was actually on before, still think to themselves, well, should we bring Mike back? <laughs> and no one says no. I, I don't understand that for but the life But it goes to me. show you that Edmonton waited. Obviously, Edmonton was obviously, when I, say, when I say obviously, I mean at the time, there was many reports coming out that Edmonton was hard after Markstrom. Now, sure. Mike Smith obviously knows that or heard that or whatever, and Koskinen was under contract. So, you know, if you're a proud player, like I'm sure Mike Smith is, you know, you would be like, all right, I guess I'm looking elsewhere. But this goes to show you that there was no elsewhere. This goes to show you that he was essentially waiting on the Oilers to make a decision on this true number one goalie and see if he can get his old job back kind of situation. Because as soon as they went after Markstrom, a, a valuable goaltender would have been snatched up because mm -hmm. his agent would have been like, okay, well, we're not waiting. But it goes to show that there was probably not a market for him. And it goes to show that the Oilers ran out of options that they probably had to bring him back. Because he was not good for them. He hasn't been good in a long time. Again, we're, we're just talking about the player. I'm sure he's a great guy. But yeah. I don't remember ever being afraid of Mike Smith. In yeah, there capacity. might have been like, like even early on, I remember very distinctly when he played for Dallas. And statistically, the, he looked okay. But even then, I knew that you get a couple past him, Dude. and he was just—he he was leaky. He just, was just so look at leaky. Us, just look at us in that Phoenix series. The Kings just—they right. lit him up. What else is there to say? They four or five yeah. goals on him. Yeah, some games. So. It was the exact same way. Like he just when one gets past him, it's just downhill from there. I've it's always just, said, he, yeah, he has two modes. You know <laughs> yep. this. He has Shut down and cycle. God mode. Or Swiss cheese. It's one or the other. You're not getting an in-between with Mike Smith. Yep. That's it. And then there's one deal that I don't I, – I, it's somewhere in the middle for me. The Alex Peter Angelo to Vegas deal. Mm -hmm. Eight years, eight plus million? Is it eight? Yeah. 8.8. 8. 8. 8 for eight years. Yeah. Okay. For Alex Peter Angelo. He's 30 years old, by the way. He's 30 years old. It's a full no-move clause. And 
he just came off. He won a Norris. Was it two years ago? Did he win a Norris? I, I thought he did, I didn't he? I have no Am idea. I wrong? I'll check it while you talk. Okay. Definitely won a cup, obviously, and performed well and has had consistent performance. That's not my question here. That is not my question of whether or not Alex Peter Angelo deserves to be considered one of the premier defensemen in the league. My question is, why do you, as Vegas, feel that you were one Alex Peter Angelo at eight years, 8.8, no movement clause away from winning the cup? Like, Do you honestly think that that was the problem? Do you think that that's what's been holding you back for the last three years to the point where now you're going to start blowing up a lot of core members of your team, guys who've been there since the beginning of your team that your fan base identifies with, and by all accounts have been doing a good job for you guys like Nate Schmidt, who then they had to trade to make room for bringing in Alex Pietrangelo. That Again, the questions of, of how Vegas is choosing to mold this team going forward, these aren't just questions that we're asking externally. These are questions that their close fans and followers are asking. They're looking around and they're looking that their players that they love and they're playing well are being moved for unclear reasons to bring in basically mercenary players in a lot of ways. Uh, Alex Pietrangelo never won a Norris Trophy. Okay, sorry about that. But I, I agree with you. Mercenaries is, is the word. This team is almost unrecognizable from that mm-hmm. first year. And listen, I get it. Like, I'm not trying to be overly nostalgic about some team that caught caught lightning in a bottle and had this magical run to second place. You know, like I'm not I'm not trying to say why don't you just always do that? Because it's hard to do that. There was a lot of factors there. There was external factors, there was social factors, there was tragic factors. A lot went into that run, so I understand you can't just be like, oh, copy and paste next year or every year it's going to be like this. Yeah, You always try to improve it, but, but at the same time, you can't get rid of the true difference makers in that equation. You could peripherally change things, but I think they have lost the core of what made that work. They have lost – Nate Schmidt is part of that, by the way. Mark Andre Fleury is part of that. Mark Andre Fleury isn't gone, but they're going to shop. They're shopping him right now because they're over the cap because they signed Robin Leonard to. Uh, uh, sorry, I think, I think they outright came in. They said that they're that they're not getting rid of Fleury at this oh, point. Oh, they're not. Okay. Clearly, that clearly was not their first option. Well, then they're like stupid yeah. because they're. I'm sorry, they're over the cap. Yeah, and they just paid a goalie who's going to be their starter, five million a year over five years. So they're. Save face, they're gonna say, "Oh, we're not trading Flurry at seven million a year." That's that's dumb. That you're not a good manager. I'm sorry, you're not. You need to get rid of that contract right now. You need a backup goalie who doesn't make seven million dollars a year yeah. because you're if freaking you over the million, cap, bro. Yeah, even if you eat three million of that contract, that still opens up four million of contracts. What, what does it mean? Yeah. You just sign a defenseman to eight point eight million dollars a year for eight years. What do you mean? Oh, we're not getting rid of Flurry. You better be on the phone right now, Brad McCrimmon, or whoever is running that show, trying to trade this. Go- well, he's he moved up. He's not GM anymore. Ah, uh, I see, I see. Um, so whoever it is, it's Brad. You need to be trying to move this goalie right now because you're in trouble, bro. Yeah, it's very confusing. It's very, very confusing. And, you know, we talked about, I mean, 
who do they have on their roster right now that they internally developed? Like even guys like Cody Alex Tuck who came in, that's it. It's Cody Glass. Yeah, like Alex who else Tuck, they, they got obviously they got from the, Minnesota. They got from Minnesota, and so he had played like a handful of games, and so they picked him up from Minnesota, and he's turned into a player for them. He they was always not, a good prospect, man. He, he was, was always he was. Again, this this is a different conversation that you and I have had definitely about how Florida and Minnesota basically helped Vegas be Vegas. But the point is that it's just I don't know what the identity of this team is anymore. And again, I'm not a Vegas fan, so it's not necessarily my job to know the identity of the Vegas Golden Knights. But this is this this is something that I have heard in following some of their biggest fans, the people who have been Vegas fans since before there was a true Vegas team. Yep. This is not me just pulling stuff out of thin air. And when I look at this roster, when I look at how they've performed over the last couple of seasons, they've made a bunch of changes. They've signed a bunch of guys. And I don't think that the problem that they had was that they were an Alex Peter Angelo away from, from breaking through and winning. I think the problems are completely in their own head. And every year, I feel like they do something that doesn't solve that problem, but somehow makes it worse. Between last year and this year, it was firing Gallant way early on, and then playoff time came around, and they had the whole flurry, you know, versus Laner issue. I mean, they which they just created on their own. But that's what I'm saying. They find ways to create these like internal controversies that just that just derail the team, in my opinion. So I don't know. I don't know. But that's that's a contract that I don't like because I don't think that your team that's over the cap and like you said, can't seem to get rid of their $7 million backup now that they need to be signing $8.8 million Alex Peter Angelo at age 31 for eight years. Yeah, apparently so. they don't want to get rid of their back their $7 million backup now, which is <laughs> blows my mind because otherwise your other options, you're going to lose good defensemen. Man. You're going to have to trade Martinez who has one more year. On his deal, and they're talking about that too. I That's know. Why would <laughs> they trade it for this guy? They give two second round picks for him, and they're like, "Well, we just got to get rid of Martinez now." It's like, well, "What are you talking about, dude?" Again, if you get rid of Martinez, then outside of your your top pair, which I assume is going to be Peter Angelo and, and Theodore, right? You are not looking too hot, bro. Not looking too good. Braden yeah. McNabb is your best defenseman on your bottom four. Yeah. See, like to me. Uh, and to most people, I'm not some smart guy. You got to get rid of Flurry at this point because you've created a situation where you have to get rid of Flurry. You've manufactured a scenario where your number one option is to get rid of this guy. Yeah. And they should be working on doing that right now. If they're not, then they're dumb. <laughs> Straight up. So, anyway, I got a team I want to talk about. Okay, go for it. I want to talk about my boys. The Toronto Maple Leafs. But they're your boys now? They, look, they've always kind of been my boys. you got to admit, like every year I've been calling for them to win the Cup. Um, I think this is the year. <laughs> I think this is the year. What do you You've think? You've forsaken them now. <laughs> I know. God damn it. Um, tell me. Tell me why you think signings. it's the year. <laughs> interesting signings, to say the least. TJ Brody, the most significant one, 30 years that's old. That's a good signing. That's that a good is, signing. I think that's a good signing. Four years, twenty million, just five five million a year. See now, Vegas had made that signing. I would be like, 
perfect. You got yourself a decent second pairing defenseman at a manageable deal, manageable yeah. length of time. Per- that's exactly. Wouldn't you the rather add TJ Brody and keep Nate Schmidt? Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Wouldn't that solve your problem? Like, what does an Alex Peter Angelo solve that a TJ Brody and a Nate Schmidt combined doesn't? I mean, they'd be more expensive, but you're trading Martinez I anyway. <laughs> I don't think they would. <laughs> it's about the same. They make like, yeah. I think Nate makes like 5.9 because they, they overpaid him, of course. Right. Um, okay. Anyway. Anyway, whatever. Sorry. Uh, they find a way to sign Mikiev, which mm-hmm. at 1.6, which is a great signing. I thought he was going to get more than that. He's 25. Oh, yeah. he's, he's a good bottom six. And then they go out and they make some interesting moves. They signed Wayne Simmons at one year, 1.5. Great signing. I don't care what you say. If if he's just on the ice and just taking warm-ups with your team, he just brings something to that team. The locker room is going to be better now because of that. They signed Zach Bogosian, one year, 1 million. Great. He just won a cup. He's going to solidify your bottom six. He's, he's one of those guys that just brings character to the room. They signed Jimmy VC, one year, 900,000. That is a terrific signing, dude. Mm-hmm. No one can tell me otherwise. Because if Jimmy VC is on your bottom six and he is centered by this man, Jum- Jumbo Joe Thornton, <laughs> at one year, 700K, 41 years old, I like these signings. Now, they also got Aaron Dell, I guess, to be the backup because they've just had a, ro- got a rotation of backups over the last few years. But these are signings, look – this is what I call like money ball signings. You go out and you think about like, what is this player going to tangibly add to my team? Uh, although in this case, I think everything is intangible, but <laughs> these guys are mm-hmm. going to add to the team. But that goes to show you that. Dubas has so many intangibles, that something tangible comes from it. <laughs> yeah, I think, but, but I think they saw something that wasn't working. Right. I think they, they saw something clearly that was not working whether it's a locker room thing whether it's an attitude thing because clearly their goal was like we need to inject this team with like character professional Mm -hmm. guys like Mm -hmm. hard work hard hat kind of guys and i can't believe i'm saying about joe thorne but he is that right now he is so but even but you know what though it's funny because they definitely are character guys but they're not like useless nothing but character guys oh, you know no. what i mean like absolutely not tell me joe thornton's not going to play on their second power play are you kidding me yeah he should be on the second power play of every nhl team if so they simmons. you can park simmons in front of the net that's any second power fine. play fine and i think simmons here's the thing dude if you put if you're playing these guys on your bottom six in limited minutes i think that's the spot for them because mm-hmm. they are going to be trouble for some teams some matchups you can't you know, if, if they're lined up against the other team's fourth line, they're going to be a problem. I don't care how old they are. I don't care how, you know, outside of their prime they are. They're going to be a problem for some teams. They also have Jason Spezza. I don't know why. Maybe they didn't think they could get Thorn, but like Thorn and Spezza at this point, I don't see I the point. They're just going to pass to each other and hope that the puck eventually hits VC and goes in. Okay. <laughs> That's whatever. That's cool. Um, but I like I like what they've done because their top is still. Look at this team, dude. I know, like I get like oh, Thorn. The, the top was never the problem. The I top. know, but now clearly the bottom six there was something they didn't like with it, and they went out and they addressed it, and they somehow signed T.J. Brody at the same time. Yeah, I think I've I know I've said this before. I, I 
agree with you. It is a very okay, one more thing before you rip this team apart. I'm not. <laughs> or it I'm says not. I've always said like they've done as good a job as you can with what you have, and they somehow have now done a better job. Mm-hmm. Of this is it, dude. Like if you can't win with this team, with like three players making over ten million, and you still manage to make a bottom six that looks respectable, you steal, in my opinion, Jimmy VC. Who I get, yeah. In years past, he's been under uh, overrated, but now you're getting him at 900k. He's 27 years old. Nicholas Robertson's a good player, right? right? He played a little bit. He scored some goals. Exciting. <laughs> and he's on an ELC. He's so 19. Yeah. Uh, I th- I just think like if you can't go at least deep with this team, I don't know what the hell. I don't know. I don't know anymore. What what can you do? You're gonna blow it up. Yeah. No. I. I, I... I 100% agree. I 100% agree. It is about as deep a team, pure roster ability as there is. I have, I have no problem with that. I really don't. I just think it's funny. I think it's just a, it's a hilarious way to construct a team because I don't know if I've ever seen a team constructed like this. That's all it is. I agree with you. I mean, for years, Toronto has been big free agents, big trades. You know, obviously the Tavares recruitment and you know sleeping in toronto sheets with stupid episode one pod racers and like that's become it's become its own meme where anytime anyone goes to toronto now they just photoshop their head onto Tavares sleeping in his bed so it's it's funny to me because that's how they constructed their team and for years we were like dude how are they not gonna win a cup i mean look at this talent you know it's crazy. And and so it's interesting to me to see them after several years trying to build this high-octane, crazy offensive team and win that way to suddenly stop and be like, you know what? We're just going to bring in some old dudes <laughs> and here's, see what happens. Here's what I will say. They've never been a fast team. They've never been a fast team. They play fast. They try to play fast. Yeah, they're not end-to-end rush. Austin Matthews isn't fast. No, he's no, no, no. he's not slow. John Tavares has never been a good skater. Right. Um, Nylander is no, not puck control. They're they're puck control and quick movement. I think high octane is the right way to put it, um, without signifying speed. I think they're they could be devastating. Just yeah, they're not they're not a rush team. They're not no. a rush team at all. They're very much a puck control and puck movement. Um, soft spots in the ice kind of team, which is perfect for bringing in a guy like Joe Thornton Absolutely. and Simmons. Like it's it, it works out. Again, I think those those signings are funny. I think the T.J. Brody signing is very good for them because when Muzzin went down in the playoffs, that's when things really fell off the rails for them. They had no one who could play reasonable defense after Muzzin. I think Bogosian's a great bottom pairing defenseman for them, especially again, coming off a cup win. He's got the cup glitter on him, probably a little more than Shattenkirk does in my opinion. But I think the Brody signing of all of these signings, it's not going to have the name recognition of Joe Thornton or Simmons or, or any of those things. I think the Brody signing is the one crucial signing for them. And they didn't have to pay anyone $8 because they already did that with Tavares a couple of years ago. He's getting 11 Sorry. He sure is. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, they're going to be 
the hottest ticket in town provided there was a town to go into. They, they would be such a great road team. Every game sold out. Yeah. Any other teams, Fardy, you want to discuss? We really went in on Toronto a little longer than I no, wanted. We went in on Toronto. We went in on Vegas. I think those are the significant ones. Do we want to um, talk about Devin Dubnik to San Jose for a brief, very brief second? It's just a very confusing, <laughs> confusing thing to do. And Jones is still on that team, right? They didn't, or did they move Jones now? Jones is still on that team. They got they had, they let Aaron Dell go, so now they got the dreaded two-headed monster. And and I say I, dreaded because it rarely works. Honestly, yeah, it rarely. Gone works. are the days of Jacques Lemaire rotating, um, Dwayne Rollison and uh, Manny Fernandez. Manny Fernandez, you know, one A, one B, and everyone was happy go lucky with that, like. That's not going to work with Devin Dubnik and Martin Jones, two guys who are starters on their <laughs> respective teams. And it's like it's like we got the same goalie twice. Yeah, it didn't work when the Kings tried to bring in Ben Bishop and try to rotate him with Quick. Because I mean, I, I, I'm I don't. It doesn't solve your problem. That's no. again. This is the same thing with Vegas that I have the issues with with this for San Jose. It doesn't solve your problem. See, San Jose was another team that was about as well-constructed as you can imagine to try and get to a cup. And whether it be Jones kind of letting them down or, or just something just didn't come together for them, man. I don't know what it is, but I, I don't think Devin Dubnik answers any issues for you. I and don't the, think Devin Dubnik makes you a better team. So Dubnik has one more year on his contract. He's 34. So mm-hmm. next year he's a UFA. The Wild went ahead and ate $2.1 million of his contract and then went and signed Cam Talbot. And now their goaltending is Talbot and Staylock. Oh, the humanity. So weird, bro. What so is, weird. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the, is that the worst goaltending tandem in the NHL? Talbot and Staylock? No, man, because we just talked about Mike Smith and mm. Koskin. And, God, those are horrific goaltending tandems i'm 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 so spoiled that i haven't had to worry about the king goaltending for like the last eight years or something (laughs) you know uh it's over a decade now buddy it is 2010 we went to the playoffs with quickie net um but before that we had some rough times in net so we did we paid our we did certainly paid our dues but i i don't know i don't know what the hell this does for san jose they seem to be they should be better, I guess. Are, okay, Couture, Kane, Meyer, Hurdle, LeBanc. Then you go into Donato, Sorensen, Nosen, Berg. Okay, there it is. Yeah. Just a bunch of dudes. That's, I don't even know who these the, people that's are. That's the drop-off. That's the, the drop-off. The drop-off is steep because Patrick Marlowe is like the only recognizable name. Obviously, I recognize guys like Nieto and stuff, but. Brent Burns on see the problem was that they yeah they loaded up on the back end they had their run two three years ago that was their window and then once they decided that Eric Carlson was the way to go it's it's the same this is the same thing that Vegas is doing right now that they decided they were an Eric Carlson away from winning the cup and now they are farther away than they've ever been I guess the difference is you already had two defensemen making a shit ton of money 
and you went ahead and you still added Eric Carlson. I don't know. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand, but I don't think anyone looks at San Jose and goes, that's a roster, baby. No, that's going to make some waves. No. Evander Kane hates his life. Yeah. <laughs> Just being there. Yeah. Can we talk about some of the guys who are still out there? I would love to talk about some of those dudes. So Mike Hoffman yeah. still out there. Top kind of probably the top name. Um, you and I had talked about when we were talking about the Kings getting a uh, a you know a defensive addition. I brought up Sammy Votnin's name. Mm-hmm. Sammy Votnin is still out there. Um, not that I want Michael Granlin, but he's twenty eight and still hanging out there. There's there's some interesting names that are still kind of out on the market here. Alex Galchenyuk, he'll be lucky that's, if he gets. That's the very interesting to me. That's that one's very interesting because Galchenyuk? you're saying you'd be lucky to get a contract to get like the contract that he had of like four million, five sure, million. That's not happening. I no way, man. He's getting he's getting no, a he's, one. He's going to get a show me contract. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Even even Athanasiu, like. The I'm very was, surprised, Athens. You, no one wants him. He was he was a player for Detroit, man. But I mean, the problem so, is you can't. To, in my opinion, you can't take how a guy plays in Edmonton and extrapolate <laughs> that out and say like, this is how he's going to play everywhere. Okay, it just doesn't work that way. It's very odd. There's yeah. a couple. I mean, there's Travis a bunch Hamanick? of Travis Hamanick. Travis Hamanick, 29 years old. This is what I'm saying. Like, there's there's some guys out there that really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, Carl Soderberg, you know, these are, these are decent players. Eric Hall is still out there. Like, come on, what what am I missing? You know, for all the guys that have like, and you brought up Trevor Lewis, like. Yeah. Anthony Duclair did not get qualified by Ottawa after he had a pretty good season. Right. Anthony Duclair. I can understand if no one wants to sign Anthony Duclair to like 5 million a year or whatever. I get that. But come on, this is—it's very strange to me. Connor Sheary, I mean, these are these are respectable guys who can actually play on a team. It's very interesting to me that they're still out there. Yep. But uh, I'm, look, I, you know, some of these guys are going to get snatched up, of course. Like, um, I don't think Corey Schneider's going to get snatched up necessarily, no. but um, I think Grandlin Hoffman, Galchenyuk, Vatanen. They're gonna. They will, Alsner I guess my, will find my point team. is, my point is, Alsner won't. Man, Alsner hasn't played an NHL game in God so long now. Is he injured? No, nah, bro. He he got demoted. He was like he was so bad. Montreal didn't even want him playing. After they signed him to that stupid contract, I think so. I think they had him like buried in the minors. Yeah, yeah, he you're right. 50, he played for Lavelle. Like Three games for Lavelle. Man, never Carl mind. Alsner. Never mind. On that, Carl Alsner probably not. Like yeah. not even for <laughs> minor league team. Yeah, man. Might have it's a mighty exactly. But yeah, I think. I mean, the difference is the guys that I thought would get snatched, like truly snatched within the first week. There's a couple names that are still out there, and it's interesting to me. Hoffman being one of them, I thought about top name. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. So, 
Anything else that we haven't covered? Anything of note? I'm sure there's tons of things. What about jerseys? Can we talk jerseys just real quick? Sure. You want to talk reverse retros? Yeah. Someone needs to explain to me what a reverse retro is first and foremost. I don't understand what that means. So I think what they're doing is just taking popular retros, popular throwbacks from each team, and then reversing the colors. The first two we saw were that the Pittsburgh Philly one, mm-hmm. where they took the black Pittsburgh with the script going diagonally like the Rangers one, and then they made okay. the white one. And then the okay. Flyers are – I don't know. I don't even remember the Flyers one. Is it like – what was the flip on that? Did they take the white – road ones that they used to have and turn that orange but didn't they already I can't have an remember. orange oh okay i see what they did they just flipped the arms it, oh. it was white on top and the sleeves i mean it was white and going into black now it's black going into i get it oh i see i see i see Super cool um fine but i guess there's this new kind of is that he just just this was an adidas idea i'm assuming to do a fourth reverse retro i guess is this something someone asked for? <laughs> I don't understand. It's got to be an Adidas initiative. It has to be. But the Wild Wing jersey is coming back in orange. Right. Which was mocked right. up. And then in Vegas. Oh, um, my God. They don't have a retro per se, but apparently the mock-up is, um, I think it's, a tribute to like the Las Vegas Thunder, perhaps. Correct. It is. It's there. It's the same striping. Interesting. As the Las Vegas Thunder, it is going to be interesting to see what teams some teams do. Like, how far back are the Wild going to go? You know, are they going to go North yeah. Stars? Yeah, probably not. I probably mean, they've, they've the, been through so many iterations of their own jerseys that they can just go back to their own. But, and then I don't know. Like, I guess take the the white and green ones which are still my favorite, the original ones that Gabrick played with, with the, oh, yeah, the those are nice. giant uh, Minnesota Wild Hockey Club shoulder patch, and I guess reverse it, make it green with white stripes on the shoulders. Mm-hmm. But then the rumor is that the Kings have one coming as well. Yeah. And that's going to be interesting. Uh, um, was it Mayor's Manor did the mock-up? Mm-hmm. They look good. Yeah, Some of them look good, I should say. Some of See, them this, look is, this is my wild. problem with the Kings – concept jerseys all the time i have this perception in my head and they've had so many various iterations of it that they that they could draw from and flip this and flip that and even like there was one where it was the jersey itself was purple and the shoulder straps are white Mm. and they had this like new iteration of the shield with a new word mark i like that i like that that a lot lot. i but i'm convinced that's not what it's going to be because every time i've had this idea in my head of what it's going to look like and i've seen mock-ups and i've seen descriptions of it it ends up coming out and it looks like the stadium series jersey with this like weird diagonal la thing that's just out of nowhere you know for it just seems like consistently there's so many things that they can draw on and make a really solid retro with a twist and it's just missed opportunity after missed opportunity in my mind yeah, if it is anything close to some of those mock-ups, man, that's just a beautiful-looking jersey. I think... There's six different mock-ups that Mayor's got on his site. I know. And I would accept every single one of those. Yeah. And I'm convinced it's not going to be any of them. <laughs> um, I think that for a long time, fans have wondered what a 
white jersey with the purple and gold trim would look like. Mm-hmm. That's the one like the elusive thing that, that hasn't happened yet. Right. Um, and it's 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 the obvious one, but sometimes the most obvious ones are the hardest ones to get, unfortunately. But yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see what they do. Uh, it seems like purple is going to be a big part of it, which it should be. Uh, really hope it's not that that crown that is now on the very bottom of our logo, of the, of yeah. the pencil logo, as they affectionately yeah, yeah. call it. It's got to be the OG crown, it, right? It's like either it, the OG crown or that shield. That shield, that OG shield is very nice with that different crown too. I like that. I like that new kind of, mm-hmm. the new retro OG shield look with the new word mark. I like mark. it too. I, I like that word mark and I, I think that works and I hope they go with that. I hope they jump off of that and and utilize that, you know. And again, I might be, you mentioned it, the white with the purple and the gold, but like the Lakers have jerseys like that too, primarily white gold and purple trim so they wanted those know, jerseys they did <laughs> i'm not asking the kings to have black rumba jerseys but i mean i'm just saying you could very easily look like the team that you're building with and i don't think anyone would mind one bit vardy doc emmerich has retired doc is there a fancy word for retired that i can use <laughs> That he, would, that he would use. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to Google some adjectives that match retired here. Help um, me, Thesaurus. Listen, we we have fun with Doc a lot. We've had fun with Doc a lot over the years because some of his calls are legendary and some of his calls are head-scratching at times. And Doc Emmerich has like, now superannuated. <laughs> He has become cloistered at home. My favorite Doc Emmerich call is when Patrick Kane scored the game-winning goal in 2010, the cup-winning goal against Philly, and no one knew the puck was in the net. (laughs) And obviously Doc didn't know either, and it was the most awkward call (laughs) in NHL history. And appears to have scored. (laughs) It was like they were all their gear was off. Emmerich's like, score! <laughs> and I think he closed it off with like what chaos <laughs> like what chaos it was the best Doc is obviously honest, all joking aside uh, someone told me the other day I agree he's like the Marv Albert of hockey without the biting incident <laughs> or the cross dressing or the <laughs> all that stuff you know um, but I guess what the national voice of hockey on broadcast like he was a local voice for the devils for a long time mm-hmm. uh, but he became the national voice of like as soon as whatever the contracts were on i think it was abc first and then it went to nbc the contracts kind of moved around but that's gonna be what i remember most for when there was a big game doc emmerich was on the call that mm-hmm. period like that's a, that's what i'm gonna know stanley cup final oh doc emmerich's on the call obviously like the AUS play-by-play guy. The, when there's an A-team, Doc's at the head of it. I think Olchik's the second. That's that's really going to be his legacy, I think. Yeah, and by all accounts, just one of the nicest human beings, just about as nice as he seems, apparently, in real life, as he does on TV. Um, yeah, it's end of an era for sure i'm curious who's gonna 
who's going to pick up that mantle that you kind of mentioned as like yeah. that a call kind of guy, you know, it is, it is going to be tough. Cause there's obviously a couple of B guys like John Forslund is really good. My mm-hmm. favorite, one of my favorite all time play by play guys is Chris Cuthbert who does a lot of work in Canada. And sometimes he drops into the U S he called some Kings games, the, that year where everyone was kind of pitching in for Bob's time off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like Gary Thorne did a game. Chris Cuthbert did a game. So I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that. He's like my favorite current play-by-play guy. Nice. Um, it would be nice if he gets it, but I think he's more – he does more work in Canada for sports. You, you know, not that I think – Alex Faust has actually been doing some national. Sure. He started. But his first gigs were national, which yep. is impressive. So – it would be interesting. I think he's pretty much King's property for a bit, but it'll be interesting to see kind of who gets elevated to that level. Um, you I, know, think, I think it might be John Forslund. You think so? Yeah. He's good, though. I like him, too. He, his call is nice. 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 I can live with that. Yeah. I can definitely live with that. But that's all speculation. Um, maybe it's Alex Faust, and maybe we need to find a new guy. <laughs> we'll see. Um but it is episode 60. It is episode it's a round, 60. It's a very round number. It's it's so round, it's, it's a zero, buddy. Because <laughs> no one, no one has worn the number 60 for the Wonderful. LA. I am so happy. Because, Despite, yeah. I, because I, know I really, I was, like, there, I was like, there will be one. And it will be some, some guy. But I guess we could talk about the only number 60 that comes to mind ever. Oh, yeah. We did that once, didn't we? We were talking about, like, the best player to ever yeah. wear that. Well, I, I, I think this one is, like, not only is he the best player, he might be the only player of relevance. Okay. And that's Jose Theodore. I can't – I don't can't think of anyone else who wore the number I, 60. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look because, like I told you, the, the NHL actually did this a couple of years ago where they actually uh, – Said the people who who are there. Apparently, Marcus Granlin, Jason Demers, Vladimir Sabotka, Michael Backlund. What these players wore sixty? Yes. Oh my apparently, god! Apparently, Mark Stone wore it for one game. Oh, instead of sixty-one. Yeah. Interestingly. Um, but I, I mean, it's got to be right. Like it's got to be. Oh, he chosen. he has to be the he's the best. There's not even a question. Yeah, as as wearing number sixty most consistently, yes, yeah. I would agree, and also one of the one of my favorite masks of all time. Oh yeah, the gargoyles. We've and we've talked about this. Like, I, I love masks that maintain and you and you as well that maintain a consistent design that evolves from one team to the next. Like Felix Potvin always had the cat, but slightly evolved with. King's whiskers and then the Bruins claws and etc. And Jose Theodore's two gargoyles with the moon in the middle. You know, he had that various iterations of that in Montreal and then went to Minnesota and had that in Minnesota, which worked out really well because Minnesota's bears kind of evolved into the gargoyles and everything. And I think he went to Florida. He had the Colorado one that was like frozen. Colorado, that's right. He yeah. was in Colorado. And that, again, because the color scheme worked very similarly to the Montreal one, he just made some slight adjustments. And I want to say he was in Florida, but I might be wrong about that at some point. I remember his Washington, he went double eagle. 
That's right. That's right. Instead Washington gargoyles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to see here. They kind of had the history. Yeah. He was in Florida for a little bit and he took, he took, uh, tiki statues. <laughs> nice. So it was, it was the gargoyle, but it was like, it looked like it was two tiki statues with palm trees. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jose Teodor's and one of the few players, if I'm remembering correctly, who won a Vesna and a uh, um, heart and a heart in That's the same correct. year That's as a correct. goaltender, as a goaltender. So to Jose Teodor, the greatest number 60 in the history of number 60s and one of the best uh, masks in the history of the NHL, in my opinion. So is this the Jose Theodore episode, Vardy? Uh, <laughs> nah. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to extrapolate. I'm going to call this the Quentin Byfield episode. Ooh, since I we like skipped, it. Since we skipped 55, and it's going to be a while till we get back to that. It's close enough to 60. This is the, this is the Quentin Byfield episode. <laughs> All right. What do you say? Is that good enough? Should we wrap it up there? I think I'm, I'm satisfied. All right. Good. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Subscribe, comment, tweet with us. We're more than happy to converse. Um, again, it's off-season time. It sounds like they might start up in January, but not really totally clear yet when some of that stuff might happen. So, uh, I don't know. We'll try to record if at least once a month, but more than that if possible until things pick up again. We'll, we'll be around as long as you are. Go Dodgers. You've been listening to The Bannerman, an L.A. Kings podcast.